pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in heavens above in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath be it blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved then Peter goes on with his message and we're not going to get that far or even try to so we'll stop our reading right there I wanted to bring in this prophecy of Joel oftentimes this prophecy of Joel has been uh, a struggle for Christians to uh, reconcile to the day of Pentecost and what Peter says about it and 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 uh, and the the prophecy clearly speaks of uh, some cosmic events that are predicted to come that Joel predicted and uh, uh, heavens and earth and blood and the sun and moon turned to darkness and and, and all of these things these these cosmic wonders that are going to take place associated of course with the last days and with the tribulation period and God bringing judgment on all of the earth eventually at the end of time so how does this fit in here uh, where, when uh, Peter uh, quotes it <clears throat> and I think that that's, uh, there's an easy solution to that uh, in fact it, uh, it's very similar what happens here is very similar I should add for this is I kind of chuckled. I read a lot of commentaries, and 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 boy, don't they struggle with it. <laughs> they did a lot of uh, verbal gyra- gy- uh, gymnastics to try and get through this, and uh, and put it. Anyway, it's not that difficult. The more I considered it and studied it, it seems almost obvious. You remember when the Lord Jesus first arrived at Nazareth in his public ministry to preach the message there in Nazareth. This is recorded for us in, in Luke chapter uh, 4. You want to just swing over to Luke chapter 4 just for a quick, this is a quick illustration that helps us grasp what happens here. You'll be very familiar with it once I begin to read it. <clears throat> in verse 14 of Luke chapter 4, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit this is after his temptation in the wilderness. <clears throat> there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. He began, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogues on a Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And that's an interesting thing that he had done, and many no, many uh, commentators have noted this, how wonderfully the Lord handled this. 
Because the next phrase in Isaiah 61 that, yeah, if, that this is being quoted from, that the Lord is reading, the next phrase says, and to proclaim the, accept, the, uh, the day of vengeance of our God. The day of vengeance of our God. And so clearly, that prophecy, and our Lord confirms it, because at that comma, he closed the book. <clears throat> and I'm sure that's part of the reason why everybody was staring at him. And in the whole synagogue, they were all focused on him. That's a strange thing, to stop right in the middle of a sentence, right in the middle of a prophetic statement in the Old Testament. Just stop right there and close the book. But the Lord is showing that up to that point in that, sta- in that statement, the prophecy is fulfilled. He goes on to say, when he closed the book, he, sat in the, uh, he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And, he, and, and it was fulfilled in him. He came to preach the gospel. The Spirit was on him. To preach the gospel, to heal the broken heart, etc. But not yet to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. That would yet wait. The rest of that prophecy would yet wait for a future fulfillment. So the Lord says, this is a, a, the prophets sometimes spoke like, they they brought us up up to, uh, I mean, there was large spans covered in those prophecies of time. Not all fulfilled at the same time. And that's what we have here in this prophecy of Joel. Look at carefully how this is written. Verses 17 and 18 speak about when God would pour out of his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters and so forth and all my servants and maidservants in verse 18 they shall prophesy verse 19 then says and I will show wonders in heaven and in earth and so forth at verse 18 Pentecost fulfilled verses 17 and 18 Verses 19 and 20 and 21 still await a future fulfillment at the end of the days, at the end of time, when the consummation of all things. It's just, that's the way this prophecy. We have clearly a break in the prophecy at the end of verse 18. That much is fulfilled. Now Peter doesn't use the word fulfilled and the commentator said oh, that, that helped us because he didn't actually say fulfilled. <laughs> but when you read it it's pretty hard to get around. Peter was referring that this is a prophecy that you can look to for what's happening here today. And let's see if we can't see how that fits in. First of all now, having that in our minds we have, well I should <clears throat> I have made this little chart to kind of illustrate how these things actually fit together. There's a perfect parallel. These are the signs that occurred on the day of Pentecost, which we read. The first one was, there was a rushing mighty wind. That's what our MW stands for. There was a rushing mighty wind that they heard. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And then the second sign came. There was a cloven tongues of like as a fire that sat on each of them. And we talked about those last time a bit, and I'll go over that again just a little bit. Then the third sign that happened was they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were able to go out and proclaim the truth of God, the Word of God, that the Spirit put in their hearts and put in their mouths, actually. 
and enabled them to proclaim the wonderful works of God to the people and the dwellers of Jerusalem. In the Joel prophecy, then, we also have three evidences of God pouring out his spirit. And he starts with, and and you notice how they are, uh, well, sons and daughters. You have young men and old men. And then you have servants and maidservants. Interesting how these couplets uh, are tied together. The sons and the daughters. He's pouring out his spirit, he says. Look at verse 17. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So we have the emphasis there is that all receive this, the pouring out of the spirit. The whole company receives it, sons and daughters. That is so unprecedented in the Old Testament, as you recall. And so the emphasis there is on all. All of them receive that pouring out of the Spirit of God in the last days. This is, this is a new thing of God. That he, is, uh, that he has decided to do, or he has done in his purposes. And uh, if you remember, when we were back here talking about the signs, this rushing mighty wind, that's the first thing that came to them. They heard the sound from heaven. It came out of heaven. Now how you know that a rushing mighty wind came from heaven, we're not told how they could discern that. But that's what the text tells us, so we know that's how it went. It came out of heaven, a sound. See, this first one, and we remember how we, how we considered that. This first one is a sound. The second one is a sight. They saw these cloven tongues of, as a fire. And the third one, I don't know what you call that, audible. I mean, they, they spoke it. Uh, I'll just put that down. Spoke it. Uh, I don't know if that's right. Anyway, you understand what I'm saying here. These different signs. One is one is uh, heard. The next one is seen. And the last one, they did it. They, they, they proclaimed it. They, they actually, it came out of them. Uh, this first one, as you recall, the sound of that mighty rushing wind, rushing mighty wind. I always get them backwards. The rushing mighty wind came and filled all the house where they were sitting. So everyone in that house, they were enveloped in this sound, in this sign that came from heaven. So as a, so then again, we're talking all, all of them that were in the house, and we discussed that at some length last time. That it was the twelve for sure. There may have been some more in there. The scriptures does not detail that to us. Who all was this in, in that house? Because the important thing is, it says they were all together in one accord. And, and that means, it seems to me, those that were there represented the whole body of believers. A representation of all of the believers in the whole region of that day but beyond that they represent all believers in the whole church age 
They're all there in that house. This is a doctrine. Now, Aaron and I were trying. I was trying to explain it to Aaron a little bit last night. What I've been thinking about, and I didn't bring up last time. There's an important, a very important doctrine of representation. I guess I would call it, where those in that house represented the whole, all that would follow as though they were in them, like Levi was in Abraham when he paid tithes to Melchizedek. God works in that way all through the scriptures. He cut a covenant at Sinai with the children of Israel. The next generation, he didn't have to have another a new Sinai, another event. He didn't do it twice, three times, a hundred times, however many generations were to follow. No, just at one time. And all of the children of Israel that were represented by those present at the time were included in that covenant from then on. And that's the way God works. And and so this, this sound that filled the whole house, and everybody that was in that house then were completely in, enveloped in that sound. Well, you would say they were immersed in it. And of course the word immersion... That's baptism. That's what it is. And so this was, we might be able to say it, I think we can, well, can't spell it, but we can say it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism. I think there has been an incredible amount of confusion concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit over the, over the church age. But very simply, when, when the Spirit of God filled that house, what he was doing was claiming it, right? It became the house of God. The Spirit of God took up his residence there. He moved in. He filled the whole house. It was his. It was God's. The Spirit of God made that connection between heaven and earth. It came from heaven. And it filled that whole house where they were sitting. And everybody in it then was, in, was immersed in and belonged to. And obviously then holy, sacred, they're God's own possession. That, you get that sense. I mean, it has to be that way. And the church of God, which is the house of God, is the pillar and ground of truth. We read in First Thessalonians, or First Timothy, I think it is. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit accomplished. It made everyone in the house. That, was God, that became God's house. They belong to God. They are become a people of God. They are His. He has laid His, his claim upon them or His ownership of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that we have all been baptized by one spirit into one body. Now that has, uh, over the years as I have thought about that and thought a lot about gifts and so forth, that, I thought of that uh, along these lines. Uh, The Lord Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That was the promise of God that he promised with his people. It would come from the Father and the Lord Jesus would baptize his believers, his followers, in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God 
is like the water of baptism. You go under the water, you get immersed in the water, it's like that, the spirit becomes like the water. But then I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it says we are baptized by one spirit. And I thought, wow, that's different. The spirit of God is doing the baptizing, and the body is what is like the water that we are immersed into. But I have recently, in studying this just now, changed my opinion on that a little bit. We are the, the body is like the water that we are immersed into. We're all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are are immersed in the body of Christ. And, and it's by the Spirit. When the Spirit came and immersed that whole company, they all became part of the body of Christ. They were all melted together into one body. This whole company of believers and all that they represent for the whole church age. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is what unifies us all as gods. That's, that's what it's for. Um, yeah. Now, you remember last time, I hope, that when we talk about these words, the rushing wind, the rushing, that word is, that word is born along. It, it is the word for being carried along. Something like, you, if you, uh, uh, see a tumbleweed out in the in the winds of North Dakota, being borne along by the wind, or you, you throw a bottle in the river and you see it being carried along by the current. That's what that word is, being carried along. And that same word is used in First uh, uh, Peter chapter one and verse twenty-one. I'm, I'm not sure about chapter one, but anyway, yeah, in First Peter. We're speaking about the word of God and how it was given, how it came from God. It says that holy men of God spake as they were moved. That's what the scripture says. That's the word of King James. As they were moved, as they were carried along, as they were born along. That's the word. They spoke as they were born along by the Holy Spirit. That's the word. It's a moving thing. It's a, it's, it's, this is something that changed, that sets your course. That, that gives you a, a direction in life that you didn't have before. It's a new direction. It's, it's the way. It's the way you go. It's the way that we go. And then this word, mighty, is not used very often in the scriptures. It's, uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it means violent. Basically, it means violent. It means violent. Forceful with violence. The word is the the root word of that word, bia, b-i-a. Kind of surprises me for that soft drink that you can buy, the kind of a yuppie yuppie soft drink called bia. Well, the Greek word means violent. That's what it means, and it's used several times in the Book of Acts. That little short part um, where the where the, the, the Roman soldiers came in to, to rescue Paul out of the mob because of their violence, you know, that kind of thing. This, this word, though, it's not used again in the New Testament, but it's used twice in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. And, and the first one is in uh, 
Exodus chapter 14. And in Exodus 14, it's talking about Moses. He stretched forth his hand over the Red Sea. Now they're about ready to... they got the Pharaoh's army is behind them trying to get them. And, and they got a sea in front of them. And they got mountains uh, on both sides of them. they got no place to go. And the Lord says there, Stand still and see the salvation of God. And Moses stretches out his hand over the sea. And God sent forth a violent east wind that spread that sea open. And the children of Israel walked through a dry land. It was a violent east wind for their deliverance from their predicament that they were in. The deliverance of the people God, God brought forth violence to deliver them from their bondage and slavery, from what was behind them. And then in in Isaiah chapter 59, it's used again. And there, the children of Israel are being redeemed by God and brought and, and protected by God, and the enemies are coming in like a flood. And God rises up in violence against them to preserve and protect his people and, and, and keep them for his own in his land and bless them. Isaiah 59. It's a little bit of a tricky one. The Septuagint reads different, uh, somewhat different than the English version that we have, the King James Version. So, it's, But the, the word there is, It's a violent action, once again, to deliver his people from the threat of the enemy who would destroy them. That would be the the danger in front of them, so to speak. The first one had in sight the danger behind them. And then there's the danger in front of them. And God moves in violence for the deliverance and safety and protection of his people. That's the violent word we have here. This is a mighty, this is a, a moving, this is a violent God raising up in violence. What, what do you suppose? I think we can connect that with those thoughts in the Septuagint and say, wow, this, as the Spirit of God came to us, to us, by those that were represented in the upper room, they saw the sign. But we all, all of us live in the reality of it if we know Christ as our Savior. And God, in his great strength and mighty, his, his anger against the enemy and against sin has delivered us from bondage and from Pharaoh and delivered us from all that faces us in, the fo- in front of us. Our deliverance. <laughs> He's serious about it. Uh, I think that's a beautiful thought. There is... You see, we are the children of the truth. There is the lie. And God will throw down the lie. Well, so I, I like to like that link in this to the truth because the truth really is what sets us free. That is our freedom. The freedom of the, that we have in Christ is freedom based on the truth. And then, of course, the, the final one is wind. And that word wind, not the normal word for wind, it's in fact only other one other place in the Bible, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 27. And there, you can't deny what it's supposed to be translated, breath. It's a breath. It's, it's an exhalation of the... It's, so we have the breath 
of God, a rushing, a moving, violent, so violently strong, or you might say, um, incredibly effective breath. That which, that inspiration of breath, you know how God, God gave life by breathing. He put the breath of life into the man. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life that he might have be a living soul. And so, <clears throat> so this breath of God is the is life, of course, uh, uh, that is ours by the Spirit of God. I love to see these kinds of connections myself, so I, I hope I'm not stretching anything, but I don't think so. We saw last time, we thought, now, when you think about those three words, moving along, the strength of violent strength, you know, and the breath of God, I, I couldn't help but think of, that, of Hebrews 4.12, where the Word of God is described as living, as living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword that cuts and slices and divides the and that's violence. I mean, that's that's clearly effective cutting and getting things taken care of. The Word of God. It was a sound after all. And the first approach of God to anybody is through His Word. He speaks. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Hear what the Word of God says. Now, it went. It came upon all that were sitting in that house, and so I, the emphasis is on all here. The emphasis over here is on all again. Sons and daughters, I'll pour out my spirit, and sons and daughters will be filled with the spirit, will, will receive it, and they shall prophesy. Well, that's connected with the word of God, isn't it? That is directly the word. What do they? What do you do when you prophesy? Now, I have to be careful here because. I know that some people, uh, and I, and I, they, they, they feel that prophesying must be a uh, like a prophetic utterance that comes directly from God into me personally, and, and not there's no, I, and I personally disagree with that position that, that that it's a wider word than that, and it includes what I'm doing right now. I am teaching from the Word of God. I, I'm taking the Word of the Lord and how God has spoken to me as I've studied it and what has been revealed to me and what I've found and enjoyed and, and sharing it out. That's prophesying, in my opinion. And I, and I think I could support that uh, all through the Scriptures. Sons and daughters, they will actually have the privilege, the, the high calling, the incredible possibility of speaking forth the word of the Lord, however they receive it, whether by direct, but more often than not, they will get it from the word of God in this age. If you, you know, this, let's, let's think about this in the sense of reality, what we actually experience, you and I. We experience uh, understanding and knowing the word of the Lord from the scriptures. This is what God's word is. And this is what he says to us. And this verse, wow, has spoke to my heart. I, and I want to share that with you. You are telling forth the word of the Lord. 
That's what a prophecy is. That's what a prophesy. Prophecy is, there's only very little of it that actually is foretelling future events. Not very much. Most all of the prophecy that I read, and I've looked through, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and even Dan, Daniel has a lot more that deals with the future things, but most of these other ones are talking about you need to get things right. You need to make things right before God because, you know, if you don't, there will be there will be judgment that will fall. In fact, it's knocking at your door right now. Wake up! And things like that. And, and you know, you know, you're not talking about... Anyway, you understand, and we say the same thing. You can say, you, you need to repent of your sins. If you don't repent and receive Christ, hell is your destination. You're, you're ultimately going to hell when you die. You're not going to go into heaven. We're telling future events, you see. And we do so on the basis of the authority of the word of God. That's prophesying. We say, the Lord Jesus is coming any day now. He's coming. Where do we get that? We read it in the book. And, and it is a future event that we say we can predict with absolute reliability and confidence. Because we read it in the book. So sons and daughters will prophesy speak the word of God I think we need to be more in tune with that with that evidence of the spirit of God has has made us all one body we're all we're all part of this this company of people who have a direct connection with heaven we have a direct connection to the father by the spirit that sound came down from heaven and brought heaven down to us, so to speak. Or you might say it elevated us up to heaven. On the one hand, the wonderful grace of God came to us by the Spirit being poured out so that we might have the Spirit of God, the life of God in us. On the other hand, our prayers and so forth, helped by the Spirit, are, are directed, we have direct access to heaven itself, to the very throne of God. So, uh, you know, it's a two-way street here, but we have an immediate and and real connection with heaven. <clears throat> we think we need to be more in touch with that, I believe. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. More in tune with that fact that I'm, I'm an outpost of the kingdom of heaven here. And, and so heaven and I, I'm a link to heaven. And uh, I, I think that's part of what the Lord Jesus had in mind uh, as he described uh, the church. He said, uh, whatsoever you, ret- you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth, we loosed in heaven. Uh, it's a, we have a direct connection. We are heaven on earth. We are. And one of the things I think would evidence that we would, we would give more evidence to that reality if we talked more about heavenly Things of war, not so much not the things of God. If we if we let our minds uh, or, or tried to find ways and, and worked on how to how to bring the the reality of heaven and of God in our conversation with one another and even with the world, uh, I think sometimes we we just sort of I have sort of. Settled into a more of an earthly experience and forgotten 
drifted away from a more heavenly connection. We should be letting our speech be always seasoned with grace. Bring bring the things of God into our everyday conversation as much as we can and wherever we can and, and let the things of God that fill our hearts and minds set our affections on the things above and then we lift one another up in those kinds of conversations and so that's prophesying I believe that's prophesying <clears throat> and then the second one you know I don't get any further than I did last time <clears throat> The cloven tongues like as fire that uh, were seen on all of the people that were there in the house. No, it doesn't say it like that. It doesn't say it like that. It's true. All of them there had a cloven tongue as a fire seen on their heads. I guess on their heads. On them. doesn't really say exactly where at all. I just imagine it. I just imagine it on the top of their head, but I don't. Maybe it was more. But it doesn't say it was on all of them, although it was on all of them. It says it was on each of them. This is very general, this first one. This is very individual or specific. It rested on each of them. This has a whole, I enjoyed a whole connection with other things in this right here. I would take, I would take this and, uh, and expand on it if I had my chance. You know I do, so I will. First of all, we, we did explore a little bit last last week of the uh, of the uh, divisions that God incorporated in the creation three divisions that he incorporated in the, in the creation in the creation story and the first one was right on day one God created light and he divided between the light and the darkness so we have clearly a division. This is this is obviously speaking of, or I delineate a fundamental moral distinction between right and wrong, between light and darkness, between righteousness and unrighteousness, that type of a thing. Cloven, as I mentioned last time, beautiful word that the King James translators used. I think that's the best one they could have used because it connects you with the cloven hoof of the clean animal. And the distinction between clean and unclean, and so that, uh, so that distinction, distinction is so is, is fundamental. Uh, light and darkness, right and wrong. Uh, maybe enough said on that. But I would also add one other connection here. The Lord Jesus said in, in, uh, in John 14 that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict the world in three areas. Sin, righteousness, judgment. Sin, because they believe not on me. 
convicts the world of sin because they do not believe in me. That, that is light and darkness. I mean, that is a yes or no thing. If you will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are you stand condemned. That there's just that falls into this level of of, uh, of what God has established as far as division. You believe in His Son, or you'll be cast out forever. So He convicts the world of sin because they believe not on Me. And then the second uh, one, there were tongues. These were cloven, that's, but this uh, tongues we talked about last time. Tongues is also a dividing thing. It is a division. Typically, every nation has its own language and tongue and its borders. Most nations have a decent border. So, so that's a clear delineation between people groups, between social groups between nations, and so forth. The second division in creation was the division between the waters which were above and the waters which were below. He set a firmament in between. So we have a difference between heaven and earth. It's just the way it is. And it's not a spectrum. You know, it's not a... You, it's not you just don't get closer and closer and closer and eventually move all the way into the heaven. It's not like that. God set a permanent in the midst, and then and He separated. The, he divided the waters above from the waters below, emphasizing to us that there is a big difference between heaven and earth, between eternal and temporal, between the things of God and the things of this world, and and and, and people fall on that fall into that. Nations, it's, it's, a, it's that social uh, difference or distinction between uh, what is of God, saints, and the natural man. So the second division was up and down, if I can put it that way. And really, I should probably just put heaven, let's put heaven and earth, that's better. Between heaven and earth. When the Holy Spirit comes at the Lord Jesus, he'll convict the world of sin, because they believe not of me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father. The Lord had made very plain to his enemies, even, I am from above, you are from beneath. I am not from beneath, I am from above, you are from beneath. I go to my Father. And so forth. So you see the clear distinction there between these two firmament, the, the above and below the firmament, between heaven and earth, between the, the the God, the realm of God, and this earth and this world. So that is righteousness. Righteousness is in the realm of God, and on earth is unrighteousness, unfortunately. Righteousness. <clears throat> and then the third was this like as of fire. And fire, as we mentioned last time too, was a uh, clear symbol of judgment, that which purifies by, by, by consuming the impurities and bringing forth 
the purity and clean and so forth. <clears throat> the third division in the creation day is in day four, when God made the sun and the moon, and he set the sun in the heavens uh, as the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser night light to rule the night. And so we're talking about dominion within that day. He set up dominions. And we have so we have the we have the uh, kingdom of light, we have the kingdom of darkness. This is for rulership and leadership. And, and so we have the, uh, the division between the day and night. I'm not going to think anymore. The third thing then, you will convict the world of sin because they believe not in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And so that connects directly with these two, with these uh, signs. I won't elaborate any further. Losing everybody uh, on on that. Boy, I meditated on that for a long time and thought a lot of different connections there are so powerful and beautiful. This second sign in Joel's prophecy: the young men shall see visions, and the old men will dream dreams. What they what that must be saying is that we suddenly begin to see things in a different light. When the Spirit of God comes, we have opened up to us a new realm where we can see and know things. We have young men with vision. You've got a new purpose in life, a new, a new reality to live for, a new master to serve, a new, a new whole universe to pursue young men lay hold on what God offers you in Christ you have not just this world and what it offers being a carpenter or being a a military genius (laughs) or you know whatever kind of career being a computer specialist being a, a doctor or a dentist or being a janitor or being a, whatever you might think of what this world offers now those things all will have their place in your life for sure but your real vision your real goal from the spirit of God is not just this world is opened up but heaven itself the universe becomes yours you are serving the living God that's where you start to really throw your whole excitement and life into, wow, what can I be? I can be a martyr for God. You know, we can raise to that height. Like a Jim Elliot. I can, I can take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who have never heard of it before. Or whatever. I don't know what the Spirit of God will put in your heart. He'll reveal to you what He wants you to do. You'll see with eyes, not this, not these eyes, but eyes that see spiritual realities, spiritual goals, 
the work of God, your place in it. We gotta see beyond this world if we're gonna ever mean anything or do anything or have any enthusiasm in life. Get up and serve God. That's the wow. And as old men, as old men, our service days are coming to an end. We're grinding down. We're running out of it. But you know what? Even though we're sleeping half the time in our chair or in our bed or wherever we happen to be dozing off. We haven't lost the sight of heaven. We're dreaming about the realities that are right before us. In fact, our dreams, our dreams of the glory, actually become more real than our our homely, our stumbling around everyday life. Our real reality becomes what is open to us by God of what we see. You know, there's a country, says God. It's for you. And Abraham, he saw that. And you know, he left his old country. He went for that. And and he could have had a chance to go back because things didn't always go the way he expected. He could have had a chance to go back, but no, no. He, He had his mind set, his heart set on that country that God would give him. And he, and, he, and he went for it all the way to the end, us old men. We don't lose the reality, oh, the, the, the vision, the view, the view of glory. It starts to glow brighter and brighter as days go by. Oh, how wonderful it is to have the Spirit of God holding up before our eyes and before our hearts all that God has for us in the future days. And we're out of time. But you can see how individual that is. How the Spirit of God will give you your vision that you need, or you, or you, it won't be the same. How He holds before me glory in a way like that's my dream. It's an individual, very individual thing, exactly like we had over here, very, each of them, to each of them. (laughs) God doesn't forget any one of us. Has us all in mind, and each of us in mind. Including, incorporates us all, but he incorporates us individually, person by person, in his marvelous (coughs) Oh, what a God we have. And these things, and now, this this you could say, yeah, if this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is the indwelling of the Spirit of God. This is talking about His coming to seal us and indwell us and, and be our personal guide, director, comforter, helper, our connection with God. So this would be the indwelling. There is really, as I thought about it, really three Three aspects of how the Spirit of God works with us. We have the baptism of the Spirit of God. That was where it, it took us all in. He took, he took us all in. We have the dwelling of the Spirit of God. He's working with me. We also have the filling of the Spirit of God. And I become, as they were, 
enabled to actually minister to others. You know, I could actually take the word of God. They prophesied. These servants and maidservants. No, it doesn't just say servants and maidservants. He says, my servants. My maidservants. They will receive of the Spirit of God and prophesy. This is really specific. This is, in the, this is very particular and specific. Because each of the people, each of the disciples, I'm sure they had their, this one had that language, but they didn't all speak that language. This one had a different one, and this one had a different one. Out of the dozen or sixteen or however many languages were represented there, they didn't all just speak at once. As the Spirit gave them utterance, as the Spirit gave them actually the words, they ministered to a certain segment of that crowd. According to the directive, the help, the capacity, the capability that the Spirit gave and put within them. And that's what we're going to, that's what a servant does. That's what a maid servant does. What the Master asks me to do. So far. Well, anyway, we got to start here. We started a little early and ended a little late, so. I hope that this gives you some some encouragement about what is going on on the day of Pentecost. There's been a lot of confusion over the years. I if you if you connect speaking with tongues with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are not technically correct. That's not technically correct. This is with infilling. They were all filled with the Spirit of God. It says so directly in the text, so we couldn't miss it. And it's been a confusion source for many years. But anyway, maybe we'll talk about some more next time. Our God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. How indebted we are to your grace forever. By this one gift, of course it comes to us only because and only by that marvelous and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. Oh, we thank you, our God, for so great a Savior, such great salvation. And this marvelous provision for us in this day, while we wait for your Son to come from heaven. Thank you, our Father. Help us to understand. Bless this word to our heart, we pray in Jesus' name.